open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4. We're going to continue with our lesson there. I already mentioned verses 1 and 2 and talked about a great deal about those two verses. We'll pick up with verse 3, but just to bring us up to date, let's read verse 1 and 2. Paul's charge to Timothy. He says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge quicken the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. He says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, sort with all long-suffering and doctrine. In our last lesson, we mentioned the fact that this charge was to realize that all of our life and service is before God. And then we talked about the charge that uh, Paul gave to Timothy to preach the word. We mentioned in that previous lesson that Moses charged Israel, Moses charged Joshua, and Joshua later on charged Israel. We gave you these places. Samuel charged Israel. David charged his son Solomon. Jesus charged the apostles. And now here Paul charges Timothy. And also we, I think we reminded you that uh, when a young preacher is ordained, or older one either, when you're ordained to the ministry, this is about the best passage of Scripture that the preacher that gives the charge to the new preacher to use, and that would be this one that Paul uses to charge Timothy and give him instructions as to what he's to do. It also said that Christ will judge the quick and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom, and we mentioned the believer's sins are judged on the cross, and that the believer will stand someday before the judgment seat of Christ, and that Jesus will judge the wicked world at His coming after the tribulation, and then the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20, the time of His appearing in His kingdom. And then He said, Preach the Word, and be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. We gave you five things there. The preacher is to first preach, preach the Word. Five really imperatives, we might call them. And we talked about that He was to be instant, in season and out of season. That's number two. Number three, he was to reprove. And number four, he was to rebuke. Number five, he was to exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And that brings us down to verse three that we should pick up with in our message tonight, in our lesson tonight. And verse three says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Even in Paul's day, he realized that the time would come. And I don't know how far he looked into the future, but certainly it was already at hand. In fact, Paul warns of those times in 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you want to flip back to 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter, he says in verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So he speaks of the future time. He says that uh, in the latter times here, some shall depart from the faith. And the word giving heed means that they will pay attention to or to attend to the false teachings. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I believe that we're, we at least have those days upon us today that people give attention to false teachings. And it goes on to say in verse 2, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You know, there are so many people nowadays that have uh, little or no conscience seemingly about anything. 
having their conscience seared with a hot iron. That means that it's just been so abused and so neglected and so fought, fought against in the inner spirit of man that he just pays no attention to it. His conscience for a while may convict him of some things, but if he just keeps on resisting it, the first thing you know, it has very little effect upon him. There are many men without conscience in that sense of the word. It says, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. It's like it's seared over. It has no feeling and no response. And it goes on to tell some of the conditions of these last days, latter times. Uh, we find that Peter speaks of the same thing that Paul spoke to Timothy here in this charge. He says, uh, back in First Timothy, Second uh, Timothy four, hold your place there. Second Timothy chapter four, hold your place, because he says the time will come they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now look, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Peter warns of the fact that people will be turned unto fables. Let's turn to first or second Peter it is, chapter one, and verse sixteen. And he says, For we have not he, he reminds people in his day, Peter does, that what he had followed was not cunningly devised fables. For he says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And so when he reminds them of his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, he says, we're not following a fairy tale. We have not followed cunningly devised fables, but we were eyewitnesses. And Peter points out the fact that they were eyewitnesses of Christ's majesty. And he tells, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when he, there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So Peter is reminding people that the experience that he had with Jesus. Remember Peter, James, and John in the Gospels went up to a high mountain apart with Jesus and he was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. And there appeared with him Moses and Elias speaking with Jesus. And Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. He says, if, if, you, if you will, let's build three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And this voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. This voice from heaven was as much as saying, Never mind a tabernacle for Moses and Elijah. Never mind any tabernacle at all for Jesus. But just hear Jesus. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So uh, Peter speaks of those fables that he had not followed cunningly devised fables. John warns of false teachings in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 in his epistle. He says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. 1 John 4, verse 1 through 3. He says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Even in John's day, they were already there. And he says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. They must believe in the incarnation that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. If he's come in the flesh, that means he existed before he came in the flesh. 
This admits the pre-existence of Christ. This admits the fact that God was manifest in the flesh. And so that's what we're looking at here. And John says if a spirit, if a person preaching or teaching does not believe that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, believe in the virgin birth, believe that He came down from heaven, as it says in John chapter 6, he says this is a false spirit. It says in every spirit that confesseth that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. That's in verse 3. He said that spirit's not of God. And he says, this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come into the world, and even now already is it in the world. So he, he warns. John gives us the warning against false teachers. And that's what Paul is talking about in the last days, that they shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Paul also warns the church in Acts chapter 20, the Ephesian, the church of Ephesus, the Ephesian elders, just to point out that it is to the elders in Acts 20, verse 17, it says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And it goes on how he had taught them day and night publicly from house to house. On down in verse 27, he says, For I have not, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And in verse 28, he says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. This is Acts 20, verse 28. He says, To feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this. Now look, he's warning the church of Ephesus. I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul knew that in his day that there would be grievous wolves enter into the church, not sparing the flock. And he goes on to say, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. They wanted to get a following. And that's a danger that still rests in churches today. He says, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, look at this. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. He says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities. And to them that were with me, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore, and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, <clears throat> that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. So Paul gave a warning back there to the Ephesian elders. Now back in Second Timothy, verse 3, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. I never could figure out whether it was the teachers that had itching ears or the people that would heap to themselves. But it's probably a little in both instances. But people want to hear what pleases them. I think if you turn to uh, Isaiah, turn to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30, if you will. 
I want to give you a few verses. I believe it's verse 9 we'll pick up. And notice what it says here. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, this is to the prophets, which say to the prophets or seers, see not, and to the prophets prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Can you imagine openly and, and blatantly saying, do not tell us right things. Tell us, tell us uh, smooth things, things that really please us. And then it says, prophesy deceits. How far gone would you have to be to try to get your preacher or teacher to prophesy lies to you and false things and smooth things? That'd be pretty far back, wouldn't it? But that's what Israel of old wanted. They said, tell us lies and deceits. We'd rather hear those than anything that would, would at least rebuke us just a bit. Back in Second Timothy again. They will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. That's verse 3. Look at that again. The word heap means to multiply. To have an abundance of false teachers. They will heap to themselves teachers. They will try to get more of them. People who wish to hear what satisfies their sinful desires. If a preacher gets on our sins and shortcomings, well then, they don't want to hear that. But you know, to make it very plain, every time the preacher is getting on your sins, he's getting on his own too, if he's preaching right. See, he's got four fingers pointing out there and one pointing back toward himself at least. Because all of us need... Uh, what Paul says here to Timothy to reprove and rebuke, but it says and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So when we reprove and rebuke, we also should exhort people. The, the word exhort means to build them up, to help them to hear the word and to be and to profit by it. You know, even when we're teaching our children in the way of a rebuke, we should give them the alternative to build them up and tell them what to do instead of just always what not to do. And Christianity is not a bunch of do's and don'ts. It is to exhort us. It's to take God's Word and bring it forth in truth that we may profit by it. And our response to it is that which determines whether we'll be profitable by it or not. And I want you to notice after he gets through with verse uh, 4, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables that he says in verse 5, now I want you to notice four imperatives in verse 5. It's in verse 5. The first one is watch. But watch thou in all things. Literally, it means to abstain from intoxication, to be alert. It speaks of alertness. Watch, watch, be careful. And the the root meaning brings out the thought to abstain from intoxication. Do not be so intoxicated with the things of the world and and with uh, the wrong things that you fail to be alert to the things of God. It says, Watch thou in all things. And then it says, Endure afflictions. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2 verse 3, that as a good soldier, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Look in chapter 2, just turn a page back, in verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So, a soldier have to, has to suffer affliction in so many ways. And we're, good, we're to be good soldiers. And Timothy especially was told here to learn to endure afflictions. Paul had, had to endure many afflictions. 
We could go back and read the record of the things that Paul endured. Let's see in the book of Second Corinthians, is it? Chapter 12, maybe. Second Corinthians chapter 11, at least. We'll read some of them. He continues in 12. But let me just read some things that Paul spoke of himself. He told the Corinthians, though, they had questioned his apostleship. Corinthians chapter 11. We'll pick up some verses here. He had told them of his apostleship, and they questioned his authority. And down in verse 23, he says, Are they ministers of Christ? And then he says, I speak as a fool. He asked them to bear with him in his folly. Paul would have never brought up the things he suffered, except they were making an issue out of it. But he goes on to say, I speak as a fool. He says, I'm more. I'm a minister of Christ. Are they ministers of Christ? He says, I'm more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft, he says, of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. They, they would be with thirty-nine stripes. They were not to go over the limit. Forty stripes, save one. He says, thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I've been in the deep. Then he says, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Now he says, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And he says, Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. And we go on and we could read more. But what we want to point out, back to Second Timothy 4 now, Paul tells Timothy in verse 5, he says, watch thou in all things. And he says, endure afflictions. And he surely could speak from experience. You know, sometimes we'll tell someone, well, you know, just, just face up to this or that. And we'll say, I understand. Well, if we've never been there, we don't understand. Really. We may have an idea of what it might be like, but unless you've been there, you don't understand. Unless you've been through some of these things, that Paul was speaking of, and he was telling Timothy, and Timothy was well aware of Paul's life. He said in the third chapter, and I believe we taught it earlier, in verse 10, if you look back to the third chapter, and right across the page from where we have in the fourth chapter of Second Timothy, in verse 10 he says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, love, patience, and he says, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch. And he goes on to say, at Iconium, at Lystra. And he says, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. So he's reminding Timothy that he knew his manner of life. And that's why in the fourth chapter he says, endure afflictions. There's another thing he said. Now look, we said there are four things in this fifth verse. Still have Second Timothy 4 verse 5. He says, but watch thou in all things. That's number one. Endure afflictions, number two. Now look, do the work of an evangelist. Then he says, make full proof of thy ministry. Notice, do the work of an evangelist. Timothy well knew 
the evangelistic work of the Apostle Paul. And he says, you do this kind of work too. Paul went, Paul went where God opened doors, and he always depended upon the Holy Spirit's leadership to where he went. We can go back and give you instances. But he tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. And Paul was not instructing Timothy, by the way, this may sound different in our day, Paul was not instructing Timothy to go from one church to another and preach. That was not what he was saying. And nowadays, that seems to be the idea of doing the work of an evangelist. But an evangelist really is more of a missionary, going to people that haven't heard. Now, you can say what you want, but that's exactly what it means. And nowadays, we've gotten the idea of a great evangelist going from one church to another because that he could get a crowd there without having to gather them around and having to do the actual work of an evangelist. So let's get our thinking straight about a missionary and about an evangelist. Our missionaries are evangelists, and they're going from place to place and doing the work that they're supposed to do. But you can put it down that Paul was not instructing Timothy to say, well, now I'm at the church of Ephesus. That's where he pastored. Now you go over to the church of uh, Corinth, and you preach to them, and you go to, to Rome and preach to the church at Rome, and you go to the Colossians, and you preach to them, he was not telling him that. He was telling him to do that evangelistic work within his own community and to do the work of an evangelist. By the way, the word evangelist is only mentioned three times. This time here, let me give you two more places. Look in Acts chapter 21 and verse 8. Acts chapter 21 and verse 8. And notice what it says here. In verse 8, it says, And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven. Philip is called an evangelist. Now, what did Philip do? If you want to see Philip's work, you go back to Acts chapter 8, if you will. Acts chapter 8. And we'll see what Philip was doing. What kind of evangelist was Philip? He didn't have a church, but he was preaching. It says, pick up with verse 5. Acts chapter 8, verse 5. It says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. He didn't have to have a church there, but he went down to Samaria and preached. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people. See, there was false teaching around when he was preaching to the people the truth, the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because of that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. Now look at verse 12. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So, and then Simon himself believed also. 
And we could go on and on with the story, but you find that Philip was called an evangelist because he was preaching there in the city of Samaria, having great success, many believed. But I want you to drop down to verse uh, uh, 26. It says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. It means desert. A desert road. Think of this. Now, Philip was called out of this successful ministry of evangelism from Samaria. And the Holy Spirit told him, he says, Philip, I want you to go to the desert. Go down here between, uh, past the other side, close to Hobbs, and down there where, you know, or out here by Roswell before you get to any towns, or somewhere over in the desert area of Arizona. Go out in the desert. Because he says, I've got one man down there that I want you to continue to evangelize, do the work of an evangelist. He says, And he arose and went, and, and behold, a man of Ethiopia and eunuch of great authority under... Ke- Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, ready, saith the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Philip the evangelist. Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Well, now, did Philip, did Philip say the Holy Spirit? Well, you know, I think if you were going to use me to be an evangelist, you'd give me a church to preach in. He didn't argue with the Holy Spirit about that, did he? But he went and joined himself to that chariot, and you know the story. Philip ran thither. He was anxious to do it. And heard him read, uh, thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said unto him, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And you know the story. The place of the Scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation? He's reading from Isaiah 53. For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, look at verse 34, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? The prophet Isaiah. Of himself or of some other man? Now look at verse 20, uh, 35. Then Philip opened, the, opened his mouth and began at the same Scripture and preached unto him Jesus. He said, that's who Isaiah was speaking about. Jesus being led to, as a lamb to the slaughter. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain wa- water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Evidently, he told him the story of salvation by faith, and that how a believer would be baptized in the water after he preached the, the Lamb of God, Jesus and Philip said, well, I want to be baptized. I want to believe and be baptized. And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. What did this evangelist do? He just kept on going to new cities. Azotus, passing through, he preached in all the cities till, till he came to Caesarea. Or Caesarea, some say. I'm trying to point out to you the work of an evangelist. That was Philip. He's the only one that's called an evangelist. And in Ephesians chapter 4, if you will look, 
Turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. I want you to listen to this. In verse 10 through 12, it says, He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above. You have Ephesians 4, verse 10. Okay, follow it on down. Far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, we know there were the New Testament prophets, Apostles And some prophets, there were also New Testament prophets. The apostles and prophets have gone off the scene. They're no longer with us. And he says, and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. We still have the evangelists that are filling that work that we talked about a little bit ago that Philip filled. And some pastors and teachers. And notice pastors and teachers are joined together. A pastor should be a teacher as well. So... This is the only other place that you find the word evangelist in the New Testament. In fact, in the whole Bible, really. It's mentioned three times. And you have the description of what it is when you look at the life of Philip and when you look at what Jesus said that he left with us in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And remember, Timothy was the pastor of this church at Ephesus. And when you remember that, he's telling him, in Second Timothy 4, verse 5, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. And he was telling him to do that even as a pastor. And that, then he goes on to say, Make full proof of thy ministry. And that's what you and I as pastors in a local church should be doing today, is fulfilling or completing our ministry by being evangelists in our own community. And reaching out to those that we uh, know that need to hear the gospel. And that's what Paul was saying to Timothy. He was encouraging him. That's the fourth thing. Now look, watch. That's the first thing. Endure afflictions. Number three, do the work of an evangelist. Number four, make full proof of thy ministry. And then he goes on to say, in verse 6, Paul's final testimony he begins to give in verse 6. He says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I have kept the faith. Look at verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered. Paul calmly facing death, ready to face death. He knew that he was going to be executed in a short while. He says, I'm ready to be offered. The word offered there means poured out like a libation or drink offering. We're to be a living sacrifice. That's what Paul was, a living sacrifice. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. But when he says offered here, I'm now ready to be offered, that he means to be poured out, like in the Old Testament they had a, what they called a libation or a drink offering. So we're to pour ourselves out in the living sacrifice. The testimony here of Paul was one that had fulfilled his work. He says, I fought a good fight. He had faced conflict and contention. He had faced all that had come his way. You know, sometimes we do not choose exactly what we face in life. If we did, we'd always choose that, those good things and wouldn't choose the things that happened to us that are negative or controversial or upsetting or trials and persecutions. We'd, we'd choose another direction. If we were left to ourselves, certainly we would choose an easier path than sometimes we face. 
But it's not always left to us. I know that we can do certain things in a positive way in our lives to try to maintain, uh, as we say in our government, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Notice they said pursuit. Didn't say life, liberty, and happiness. But life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So we're all trying to be, and we seek after that. But it doesn't always happen. Because we know that the things that are common to man we all face. There's no temptation, Paul says, that will come our way but what is common to man. But God will, with every temptation, make a way of escape. Now look, and then he goes on to say that you may be able to bear it. If, if that escape does not come, he will give you grace to bear it anyway. It's like in that passage we gave you in First Corinthians, I mean Second Corinthians chapter 11, if you go and read in chapter 12 of Second Corinthians, when he's talking about his problems, and more so than we dealt with before, he says in verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance, this is 12 verse 7, Second Corinthians 12 verse 7, uh, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. He said, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. The devil caused him some trouble too, didn't he? He said, I wish the devil would leave me alone. I, did, I wish he'd leave me alone too. That'd be the best thing. We, we, we would like that better. But he says, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice. He said, he, I prayed three times about it, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, this is the Lord, he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God did not remove that thorn in the flesh, as far as we know, but He gave him grace. He says, My grace is sufficient for thee. We talk about the all-sufficiency of the grace of God. My grace is sufficient for thee. It's as if all the resources of God are at our disposal to help us through whatever we're enduring. I wish we could really believe that and, and live in it, don't you? You say, preacher, I know you got it made up there. No, I don't. Because I have the same way of trying to live with it. Uh, one lady told me, says, Brother Joyce, now you're going to have to, to uh, practice what you've been teaching other people. I think it was Lou when I had all this, this problems come up. He says, you've been telling us how to endure it. Now, let's see if you can. Well, that's good advice, isn't it? Because we all have to face the things that come our way. And when we learn the truth of the matter is that we all have these trials. And, but Paul said that in all of it, he found that God's grace was sufficient. And he said, rather than worrying about praying about the removal, he said, I've learned to glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And he, he knew how to live that kind of life. All right, back in our text now. He says, I have fought a good fight. He had fought in the battle as a good soldier. He had won. He had run the race of life and finished his course. And he said, I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. And he was now ready to receive the prize. By the way, time is short. We need to prepare. We need to finish our work. We need to love all of our friends. We need to be not over elated with temporary success and temporary prosperity. You know, I've heard people say, well, you know, everything happened so good and everything's going so smooth. We just wonder when, when the next dart's going to come, don't we? Do you ever feel that way? And certainly it will. Job of old said, 
that which I greatly feared has come upon me. Would you believe that Job was afraid of what happened to him, finally happened to him? He was afraid that it would happen. Sometimes we are fulfillers of prophecy by the way we act and the way we anticipate the future. And let's learn to just take it a day at a time and say, God, this hour I'm okay. I hope I wake up in the morning as well as I am now and take it a day at a time. If you try to anticipate too far ahead, you may get too far ahead of yourself. So we learn to live with it. And Job again said, in fact, if you'll read Job chapter 14, verse verse 14. He said, if a man die, shall he live again? He asked the question. Then he said, all the days, listen carefully, all the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. That was Job's, Job's attitude toward, toward life, toward his work, and toward his future. All the days of my appointed time. He says, if a man dies, will he live again? Then he speaks of the fact that he would live his life the best he could, and he would wait till the time came that he would go on to glory. He said, I know my Redeemer liveth, and that the last day he shall stand upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, he says, Yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall behold for myself, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. And if we could have that faith. He knew that when he dies, that that's not the end of it. He knew it was the end of the body, but he says there's going to be a future day that I, in my, I'm going to see God face to face. Paul's testimony. He was now ready to receive the prize. We're going to have to hurry, but I want to give you this. Paul exhibits great confidence. He said in verse 8, he had kept the faith. He speaks of keeping the faith in verse 7. I've kept the faith. And he exhibits great confidence in the future.